Well, good morning, church family and friends. Uh, right now, as we're recording, we've got no idea what's going to be happening on Sunday. We may possibly be gathering physically, but if we can't, then we're praying and hoping that this recording will be enough. Well, most of you have probably watched an episode or two of the TV show MacGyver. For those who haven't, let me fill you in on a few classic details. MacGyver, who's the main character of the show, is a super smart detective with a double degree in chemistry and physics. His amazing ability is to find and use ordinary things around him, along with his knowledge of chemistry and physics, to get himself and his friends out of trouble. So the plot for every episode was the same. MacGyver would find himself in trouble, but he'd always stop to look around and to see what he already had. And then he'd save the day by using a paperclip instead of a pistol, a birthday candle instead of a bomb, or chewing gum instead of a gun. In a similar way, the Apostle John is encouraging his readers to do a MacGyver and see what they already have. He wants them to remember what God has already given them. So far in his letter, the Apostle John has had some very heavy things to say. But as a good pastor, the Apostle John knows that his readers also need encouragement. Maybe they were thinking that following Jesus was hopelessly impossible. Maybe they didn't believe they had what it took to be faithful. Maybe they were thinking that following Jesus was above the reach of the ordinary Christian. And maybe that's how you feel today. Maybe you're not sure if you've got what it takes to keep following Jesus. Maybe not, you're not sure if you can keep hanging in there for much longer. Maybe the Christian life seems easier for others, but for you it just feels tough. It feels like you're walking through treacle. Maybe there's some temptations that you feel are nearly overwhelming. A little later, John is going to tell us not to love the world or anything in it. And that may seem impossible for us. You might be saying, well, sure, that's, that's all well and good for those who can go off and live in a monastery. But what about me? I'm an average Christian working a pretty normal job and I am constantly surrounded by the world. Well, the Apostle John is a good pastor and he knows that you and I need encouragement. And if you're struggling today, then the Apostle John wants to remind you of the basic truths that you already have in Christ. John is going to comfort us rather than condemn us. And he's going to remind us that while we can't do the Christian life in our own steam, we have been given powerful and precious promises through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, the Apostle John is going to tell us, or he's going to remind us of the things that we already have. He's going to remind us of these precious and powerful truths that are real and living and that are ours through the Lord Jesus 
before he goes on to tell us what things we should avoid, what things we must not do. So how about we step into the passage and begin in verse 12. What should we be doing? We need to remember the things that God has already given us. In a slightly confusing sequence of statements, John addresses three groups of people in verses 12 to 14, little children, young men and fathers. Now, Bible commentators have spent lots and lots of time debating who these groups represent, why John repeats himself, and the strange order of addressing children first, fathers second, and then the group of young, middle, of young men in the middle the very, at the very last. And every commentator that you read will, will seem to offer a different opinion. Well, I think that personally, we, we probably don't need or we can't decide on every single detail and we probably need, don't need to anyway. Rather than getting lost in all of the little details of this passage, I, I want you to just very briefly see four things before we, we look uh, in detail at the passage. Four things really quickly. First, John is teaching one great Christian truth to each group. As a wise teacher, John will use repetition to reinforce the importance of each great Christian truth. But basically, he's teaching one great Christian truth to each group. Secondly, these three great Christian truths together need to be understood by every single Christian. For example, we should realize that it's not just little children or new believers who, who need to know their sins are forgiven. Every Christian needs to know that regardless of their age or maturity. So these three great Christian truths are for all Christians. Third, at certain stages or ages of our Christian journey, there may be a particular emphasis on one of these truths. While all these truths apply to Christians, sometimes we will need them more particularly during certain seasons of our lives. And fourth, the, the, the three groups remind us that we are on, on a journey of growth and that we actually need a family in order to grow. That is why God places us in church families. So what are these three, these three great, great Christian truths that every Christian should know? Well, let's step through them. The first one is in verse 12. I am writing to you, children, because your sins have been forgiven. Now, the first thing that all Christians should know is that their sins have been forgiven. To help us understand what John is teaching us, we should be clear on what he's not saying. John is not saying a Christian is a person who is seeking forgiveness for their sins. Nor is he saying that a Christian is a person hoping for forgiveness of their sins. And he's not saying that a Christian is a person who's working for 
the forgiveness of their sins. In fact, quite the opposite. John says with remarkable confidence that a Christian is someone who knows, has certainty, is sure that their sins have been forgiven. Now, for some, this can sound very arrogant. Some people think a Christian should never say they know their sins are forgiven. That is way too boastful. But we need to examine more carefully or more closely what John is saying. How is it possible for a Christian to know their sins are forgiven without being arrogant about it? Well, the answer is found in verse 12. Your sins, I am writing to you children, because your sins have been forgiven. And then notice the last words on that line, on account of Jesus' name. The reason a Christian can confidently know their sins have been forgiven without being arrogant is because their forgiveness depends completely on the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question this morning is, on what grounds do you believe your sins are forgiven? If you're saying, I don't feel good enough for my sins to be forgiven, well, that's because... And maybe you're saying that because you want to give the impression that you're humble and honest. Then I want to say to you in the most loving way, you have totally missed the point of the gospel. If that's how you're feeling, then you're actually relying on yourself. You're thinking that you, get, you can get to heaven by your, own, by your own steam. But John says... We can confidently know that our sins are forgiven because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Because we remember that on the cross, Jesus spoke those magnificent and great words when he said, Father, it is finished. And because of this, because our sins are forgiven, this opens up the door for us to be able to to know the Father. We need to remember that already the Apostle John has said in chapter 2, verse 2, that he, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. So a Christian is someone who knows their sins are forgiven. But the, th the second great truth that John, the Apostle John wants his readers or his audience to know is that every Christian should know the way to overcome sin in their lives. Verse 13, I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Now, notice that the Apostle John doesn't hope that they will overcome the evil one. Nor is he promising that one day in the future they will overcome the evil one. No, he's saying that they have already overcome the evil one. Their victory is already a reality. Now, the question that we have to ask is, well, how? And again, John gives us the answer in these verses. In verse 14b, in the second part of verse 14, he says, 
You are strong and the word of God lives in you. Now, John is not saying that Christians are strong in and of themselves. He's not saying that they've learned some special new techniques that they have been able to master to make them more powerful. Rather, every Christian has been given a new strength that they previously didn't have. It's a strength that comes from an outside source. It may be small, but it is true and real. And that strength comes from God himself through his word, as it says in verse 14, through the word of God that lives in you. Now in 1 Peter chapter in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 23 it says we are reminded that the word of God brings new life to us. We are born again not of corruptible seeds but of incorruptible seed by the word of God which lives and abides forever. You and I We become Christians through the word of God. God's life comes into us as we listen to his word and we obey it. And and we can give evidence of this new life in us. Sometimes I use the illustration of two different kinds of animals. Where I grew up in South America, many villages did not have paved roads and there were often huge mud puddles in the middle of streets and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't unusual to see or to find a pig lying in the mud enjoying himself sunbaking. That's the nature of a pig. But other animals like sheep, will, they have a different nature and sometimes they will fall into the mud. But when they do, unlike the pig, they hate it and they want to get out as soon as possible. Well, friends, that is a little illustration of the new life that God gives to us or breathes into us through his word. When a person becomes a Christian, they they discover that there is, an, there is now a new power at work through them, at work in them through obedience to the word of God. After the initial joy of becoming a Christian and discovering that our sins are forgiven, one of the most surprising things can sometimes be that we still have sin. We, we are we discover that we have conflicts and difficulties. And John would say to us this morning, yes, that is true, but you also have the power of God working in you through his holy word. You remember when Jesus was tempted? Three times Satan came with three different temptations and three times Jesus stood firmly because of the word of God. His counter to his counter argument to Satan's temptation was it is written in God's word. And Jesus was able 
to resist the devil at that moment because he had a lifetime habit of practicing and obeying God's word. This wasn't a moment when Jesus whipped out his dusty old Bible for just that one instant and then put it back again. No, Jesus was acting or operating out of a lifetime habit of practicing and obeying God's word. The word of God was alive and living in Jesus. And the Apostle John would say to us this morning, it lives in you as well. The third truth that we see in these verses. The the third truth that we see in these verses is that we need to know or we need to remember that we already know the father and the son. The Apostle John says in verse 13, you have known him who is from the beginning. That's that's talking about Jesus. And then again in verse 14, uh, he says to the fathers, you have known him who is from the beginning. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, the Apostle John has already told us that we have fellowship with the Father and with his Son the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus said to his disciples that he was leaving them, he said to them, I am going to my father and to your father. You see, a Christian is someone who knows God as their father. God is not a distant or a foreign entity. God is not someone who we need to Fear in the bad sense of that word. God is not an, an angry boss in, who sits up in heaven. The word of God reminds us that God is our father and that we are his children. In Romans chapter 8, uh, the Apostle Paul reminds us that The Spirit of God witnesses to our spirit that we are God's children. This is maybe the fundamental truth that God wants to impress on each one of our hearts. That we don't need to fear him in the bad sense of that word, because through Jesus, we have been brought into fellowship with him. So the Apostle John wants us wants to encourage us with these three great foundational Christian truths. This reminds me of the the story of the great theologian Karl Barth, uh, who, who wrote prolifically on theology, but who was once asked, what is the most important thing that you have learned or discovered in all of your theological study? And his answer was, both astonishing and quite profound. He quoted from the well-known children's song that is regularly sung in Sunday school. He said, this is the most important thing that I have learned. Jesus loves me because the Bible tells me so. Friends, the most powerful and the greatest truths are the foundational ones, the basic ones. And the Apostle John would want us to remember these foundational truths. He would want us to remember what we have been given already through Jesus. Well, 
In the next few verses, the Apostle John moves to what we should not do. He's already reminded us of what we already have. But now based on what we already have, he wants to remind us of what we should not do. And so he says in verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, if anyone loves the world, love for the father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Well, we may be asking at this moment, well, how is this possible? How is it possible for me not to love the world or to love anything in the world? And the Apostle John would reply to us, he would say to us, well, remember what you've already got. Remember the truths that are yours and are real in Jesus. But also remember some fundamental and basic truths about the world. Because if you don't, the world will appear to glitter. It will appear to be shiny and attractive when really it isn't. The first thing we need to clear up is what does the word world mean? Because that's a little bit puzzling, isn't it? In John chapter 3, verse 16, we read that God, for God, so loved the world. So if God loves the world, then then why is John saying in these verses, we should not love the world or anything in the world? Well, in John chapter 3, verse 16, the world is referring to God's created world, God's created world of people, of humanity. And that's why John chapter 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world. God loves his created people. But here, in 1 John, the, the word world means something different. It means the organization of the thoughts and actions of humanity that ignores God and does not reconcile, recognize him as Lord. And when we live every part of our lives independently from God, we are expressing the values of the world. So I want you to notice that in verse 16, John says, John describes fundamentally what the world is about. And he describes it in three, three ways. He says, the world, it, it's all about the desires or the cravings of our bodies. Those desires that come deep from within us that we want to satisfy, those cravings that we want to meet or fulfill. But he also says that the world, the basic principles of the world, are the, the lust of the eyes or the desire of the eyes. It's to live in such a way that we're, we're constantly looking around, we're looking at the things that we can see and we are craving after those things that do not have eternal value or significance. That latest car, that latest object, that position, that house, 
All of those kind of things are things that come through the lenses of our eyes. And the world is based on desiring those things. But the third aspect of the world is the pride of life. It's that subtle pride that comes from our own achievements. Realising or depending on our own achievements and trusting in them that they might give to us what we so deeply desire. Well, friends and church family, I want you to notice that when the Bible talks about the world, it's not focusing on behaviours. The worst mistake we can make is to boil the world down to just a few basic things like don't get drunk, don't be addicted or don't give in to sexual immorality. But if we just stopped there, we would miss out on what John is telling us. John is reminding us that the world is a whole system of desires that are out of order with God. And he says that anyone who lives according to this way, the Father is not in them, the love for the Father is not in them, verse 15. And he's reminding in in verse 16 that such things do not come from the Father, but they come from the world. And verse 17, he is reminding us That this world with all of its desires will one day pass away. It will be judged. God will rid his good creation of all the evil desires that have messed it up. But the promise in verse 17 is whoever does the will of God will live forever. What a beautiful promise. That if we continue to do the will of God, how do we know what the the will of God is? Well, we know God's will through his word. That's what John was getting at before when when he reminded us of those three things. That as Christians, we know that our sins have been forgiven. That as Christians, we know what it is to overcome the evil one. And as Christians, we know God the Father and his Son, the Lord Jesus, in a personal and an intimate way. And the Apostle John is saying that if we push into those three things, if we remember those three things, and if we remember that the world is not what it's cranked up to be, we will be able to overcome the world We will be able to live in such a way that we don't love the world, nor do we love anything in it. So if you're discouraged this morning, why don't you just stop for a moment and just like MacGyver does in each of his episodes, why don't you take a look around your Christian life? And why don't you remember the powerful and precious truths that are yours already through the Lord Jesus? Press into those truths. Keep seeking them out. Keep implementing them in your life. And as you continue to practice them and remind yourself of them, you will be strengthened more and more day by day to see the world for what it is. A massive lie, a massive deception that one day is going to be judged by a holy God. May the Lord help you and me to practice this in our lives. Let's pray. 
Father, as we conclude looking at this little reminder from the first epistle of John, we pray that you would encourage our hearts. If we're feeling downtrodden and condemned, remind us of what is already true of us through Jesus. And help us to put these things into practice. Help us to remember these things day by day. Help us to push into these truths and to not love the world or anything in it. We have to acknowledge and confess that sometimes our hearts are drawn to the world. But we thank you so much that the Apostle John is saying to us, it is possible to live in the world, but not to be of it. It is possible to live in the world and, and, and to be surrounded by its values and by its desires and yet not buy into it. We can't do this alone. We thank you, Lord. We can't do it alone, but through the Lord Jesus, it is possible. So please strengthen us. Please encourage us and help us to keep persevering. And if right now we're struggling with a temptation, may the strength of these precious and powerful promises bring us relief, we pray in Jesus' name.